It's all about ensuring that the citizens are engaged and excited and you are sharing information all the time. And then you end up with a success like that. It's great to hear about those stories. This is episode 329 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Christopher is back from the 2018 Broadband Communities Economic Development Conference in Ontario, California. While he was there, he recorded several interviews, including this week's episode. Deb Sosha from Next Century Cities is back on the podcast, and a first-time guest, Bob Knight from PR and marketing firm Harrison Edwards, joins in. The topic for today is political will. Deb, Bob, and Christopher discuss how political will, or the lack of it, is such a key element in communities considering publicly owned broadband infrastructure. Bob shares some sobering observations from his company, and the three talk about possible reasons for the challenges behind mustering political will to move beyond discussion to implementation. They also get into the ripple effects that are negatively impacting local communities. And they provide some pointers on what constituents can do to help their elected officials who need the political will to move forward. Now here's Christopher, Deb, and Bob discussing political will and community network projects. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. This is Chris Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Ontario, California at the Broadband Communities Economic Development Conference with another set of live interviews. We're going to talk today with Deb Sosha, the Executive Director of Next Century Cities and past guests. Welcome back to the show, Deb. Wonderful to be here. Thanks, Chris. And we have a, a new a new guest that I've been wanting to have on for for some time now. Um, the one, the only Bob Knight, not the basketball coach. Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Bob is a partner at Harrison Edwards. Bob, what is Harrison Edwards? So we're a strategic public relations firm, strategic communications firm, and digital marketing firm, and we have uh, many areas of expertise, including economic development, government, healthcare, and we've been in the broadband space also for about three or four years now. And yeah, I was going to say I see you at all of these events. You've been you've been reading, hoovering up all the material you can find to think about these sorts of things, and certainly listening to the podcast. There, um, there is so much great information out there, uh, and, and our team is really um, uh, excited to be working with uh, with communities and some of our partners on some really interesting projects. We're the actually the we have the only dedicated broadband team in the U.S. in um, in our space. And you're located out um, just outside of New York City. What's happening in Westchester? That's really interesting. So we helped um, the Westchester County Association launch Gigabit Westchester. This was in 2016, uh, and it was it was a really interesting project at the time. They put together a compact of the four cities in Westchester County. So it's about a half a million people, and the object was to bring gigabit speed broadband to the entire um, the entire county, starting with the four cities. The county's about a million people. So it was a a, a big project. Um, I think they are. Um, finding their way, the uh, the Federal Reserve has been uh, been involved. Jordana Barton, who I believe has been on on this podcast before, I'm not sure if she has or not. She certainly should be, but we've talked about her ideas frequently in terms of the using banking regulator tools to improve access. So the Federal Reserve, right there, looking at the economy, and they're they're taking a, a big look at the digital divide and those issues, and they've identified that basically. 
without digital inclusion, without access to high-speed broadband, uh, digital divide equals economic divide. And our nation's economy really depends on, on the deployment of high-speed broadband. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they see this coming down the pike, and they say, you know, we're, we're facing downward mobility in our nation without high-speed broadband. It's a very, very serious issue, probably one of the most serious issues facing the U.S., and Deb, what's going on in Next Century Cities? Any any exciting news? How many cities do you have now? We have 190 member cities, towns, and counties across the country and growing every day. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, we do have an event coming up, and it's in Hartford, Connecticut. And we have our keynote speaker is Gigi Son, the wonderful Gigi. And we've got uh, several panels, one of a panel of mayors being moderated by State Senator Beth Bai and a panel on financing, a panel on successful models. So a lot of really interesting information that we can share with local leadership. Great. I'm looking forward to it. I'll, I'll be there. Um, we're going to talk about political will today, something that, uh, Deb, I know you have intimate experience with and something that this actually was prompted by um, Bob after you gave a presentation on it at the recent Great Lakes Connect. So uh, I'd like to start off by asking you, Bob, why is it important to build political will? And then we're going to come back to, to Deb to, to get some more examples. Sure. So- just for background purposes, my business partner, Carolyn Mandelker, and I um, both have political backgrounds. She sits on a planning and zoning commission uh, and um, used to run political campaigns in New York City, and um, I'm formerly an economic development official. So having worked and continue to work with government from the inside, we really have a keen understanding of what makes projects tick and why certain projects move forward and why other projects just lament for years and years. And at Great Lakes Connect, to the point that you made, it was really interesting, sort of timing is everything in life. Um, I had given a session on building political will and making the case for project funding um, that I was doing with Tom Kovrick from, from KeyBank. And the issue throughout the entire conference, it came up in every single session, was you have to have political will to be successful. Or, oh, how do you build political will? We, we're hearing from a lot of people. Um, the, the statistic is startling. 90% of broadband projects that uh, have, have come about throughout the nation actually are not moving forward. Of community broadband projects. Community broadband projects are not moving forward. Uh, it's probably even closer to 95%. And there are several factors, but really the, the main reason is a lack of political will, a lack of community engagement. So we want to change that. And you would define that as where the city council takes the idea seriously, the mayor, maybe they form a subcommittee, something like that, but it doesn't go further than that. That's what you're talking about. Yes. What happens is that, that it fails at the polls. It, it fails, uh, the project fails to get a council vote. And what we're, we're seeing a lot of is when you look at um, who the project managers are um, at a municipal level. It's typically a chief information officer or a director of finance or a director of technology. By nature, and, and I'm, the word bureaucrat is not a bad word, but by nature, um, those appointed officials typically are a little more insular, uh, and they're looking at budgets and project timelines. And they sort of work behind the scenes. That's, that's what they do, versus an elected who's out in the community. So very often, the first time a project sort of sees the light of day, it's daylighted. It's like agenda item number three or four on a council meeting. And then all of a sudden, the public has its backup because these are not inexpensive projects. So the, the public, you know, has some questions. The local reporter is sitting in the council meeting, if you still have a local reporter in your community. Let's hope. Let's hope. And all of a sudden, you know, there, there's a reaction. 
and then the city council members become a little scared and they say, well, let's study this further or let's ask more questions. Mm-hmm. And we start, we get on this wheel of delay, delay, study, study, and projects are not moving forward. So, Deb, is this what, what you've seen as well? I mean, do you have a, um, or would you come at political will in a different way? I, I think political will is essential if you're going to be successful in any of these projects. But I think the thing that people forget to do is to make sure that they back up and they bring a lot of people on board with them because there's a lot of power in numbers, right? So when you think about, for example, what happened in Charlotte with Charlotte Hearts Gigabit, which which provided the elected officials with a lot of backing before they ever got to the council to, to deal with making change. In this case, to bring Google in. To bring Google in. But think about Mayor... Durrell from Lafayette, Louisiana, who did the same thing. He went to the people. He talked to folks. He got stories. He got backing. And then he got the project off the ground. And I feel like that's something that sometimes people forget. I think that was the same thing in um, Chattanooga, um, that when you talk to the mayor in Chattanooga, he is well-versed. He's got his talking points, and he's very supportive of the project, and he's supportive of the community. And I think there's a, a way to make that happen. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that I, I was excited when Bob suggested this as a topic is something that I've seen, and I'm curious to get both of your reactions to this. I don't, I don't want to pick on two Next Century Cities member cities, but in this case, I think it's illustrative. Um, Palo Alto has had a successful dark fiber network for many years. Um, we're talking 20 years. And that has generated more than $20 million of revenue, which has kind of been softly earmarked for future fiber-related projects. They have not mustered the political will to do hardly anything with that. And in fact, they seem paralyzed in many ways, which is... Um, now, I, want, I just want to compare that to Mount Vernon, where when I talk to Mount Vernon and I say... Um, you know, hey, you know, like, you know, this is just amazing to me what you've done with almost zero dollars because they had all of this desire and will and a sharp person who is just, you know, thinking, um, I have a, a paper clip and a rubber band. I'm going to figure out how to improve connectivity with it. And, and I asked him something, you know, I asked him one time, you know, like, what would you do if you just had like a few million dollars sitting around? And he just, his mind was blown. He's like, there's so many things we could do. And I think that there's just a difference in mindset. I don't want to ask you to comment specifically on, on you know, those cities necessarily, but I'm just curious about that dynamic where I feel like you just see a difference. And it's not about whether or not you have resources. It's not about your bond rating. It, there's a different thing that determines whether or not you're going to take action to improve Internet access locally. I think part of the struggle is that, by nature, governments are risk-averse. And you do take a chance when you are putting forth a big project with a big dollar amount attached. And I think we need to help folks think about how to mitigate that risk so that their political future is not at stake. Um, And I think that's been an issue for a lot of mayors. The mayors who step up like Joey Durrell, like the mayor of Mount Vernon, um, uh, Mayor Boudreau, are mayors who are saying, to heck with it. This is way more important than my future career. Right. This mayor is Dana way Kirkham, like Dana, long before right. she knew how popular in Ammon, it was. Idaho. Right. right. These are mayors who really step up and say, uh, "I've got to go for this because it's about quality of life for my citizens." You know, it's it's interesting. There's a 
real interesting dichotomy here when you look at government. You know, how do we measure success? In the private sector, we measure success um, by showing results. In government, we measure success by following a process. And sometimes results don't have to be equated with that, just as long as you're following the process. So there is that inherent tension between the private sector and the public sector in, in you know, are these broadband projects a success if, if they keep getting delayed and delayed and delayed further? I would venture to say no, but the, those internal uh, in, in the workings of government um, would, would venture to say yes. Before you get to your next point, Bob, I really I want to just clarify something that I think we're on the same page on, which is that a community might say, no, this doesn't work for us, and that might be the right decision, right? None of us are suggesting that every city should be moving forward with a specific plan. I think what you are specifically talking about is cities that are basically refusing to make a decision. They're kicking the can down the road, Yes, right? that's right. Yeah, that's so I just, right. want to, I just want to make sure people are clear that we're not saying every city that has said this doesn't work for us, we're not saying that was the wrong decision. We're talking about the vast majority of those 90% and that figure that you cite are where they mostly have not made a decision. As an industry, we're really not operating with a sense of urgency. The industry isn't, and at the municipal level, we're not. I sort of feel, and this is my own personal opinion, um, that the the window of opportunity is closing for community broadband projects because the the big incumbents they're they're out there they're lobbying in the state legislatures some of these bills are actually getting out of committee and you know they're they're going to be just you know throwing small saws up you know wherever they want to the, you know, the FCC has been very friendly towards that and so communities are basically we're look we're still going to need the fiber for the backhaul for for the small cells and for forthcoming 5G networks but um, we're going to be going from position of, of power and offense to one of defense, where we're going to be supporting the, the carrier's deployment plans rather than looking at what's going to be best for each community as a whole. What problems are we trying to solve in the community versus how do we support profits? Very, very different distinction. Now, I want to come back to your point in a second. Deb, I know you want to jump in, but I also wanted to note, I, I've, I've been saying this for years, that I feel like the window is sort of closing, not in the sense that it will be closed in the way that, that I think you might be more afraid of, but certainly that the business cases get harder every year because the market becomes more fractured with new business models. I think one of the things we have to recognize is the daily reality of the life of a mayor and understanding why they get so stuck, right? So um, if you are mayor, you get phone calls about graffiti, potholes, the streets torn up, um, you know, dog waste, exactly. Garbage and cans. so, you know, I, I feel like their day is so full of, of managing that, that sometimes it's hard to take that long look. And I think the, that it's really helpful for a mayor to step back and have a process in place that includes citizen input that can help them move forward and move past that sort of, I got to take care of these daily issues, which, by the way, for them are small wins, and small mm -hmm. wins are good wins. And so helping people look at the future and think, here's a big win, and this win makes a difference in the life of our residents. I like that idea a lot. I would I would have actually put it on the citizens and the local businesses to say, you have to force the mayor to do that good job. But you're putting some of that responsibility more on the mayor to say, you need to have a process that is thinking along these lines. I think that's a really good point. Well, I think it's actually both. And, and I want to underscore Deb's point because it's an excellent point. You know, when I was uh, an economic development official, be sitting in our in our first selectman, which is like a mayor in, uh, in office, and we're, we're talking about uh, 
attracting a, a significant company to the town. And he had, I just remember this vividly, he had to get up, pick up the phone because Mrs. Jones was calling because one of the, the town uh, uh, snowplows took out her mailbox. And, you know, we had to fix it. And, and you're right, that those are very important, uh, those little victories politically. Um, you know, when, when we look at stakeholders... It is, it is the role of the mayor to drive the process. It's the role of other champions in government to drive the process. But it should also be a bottom-up approach and, and engaging stakeholders. How you build political will, you build stakeholder will. And I think our industry, when we say stakeholders, engaging stakeholders, um, I, I've heard a lot of tactics, but I haven't seen a lot of strategies in place across the country. So uh, groups will say, well, we're going to have a meetup. Or we're going to have the, the, uh, we're going to have a hive. That's my favorite one. I have no idea what a hive is, and I've been in marketing for for fifteen years. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all I know is that someone allergic to bees. Uh, I'm staying away from it. But the the reality is um, that we're really not engaging the entire community, and this should be an entire community project. We're typically uh, speaking to young white guys in tech who who may benefit from broadband initially. But we're not speaking to the to our seniors. Guess who goes out to council meetings? Guess who votes? It's our seniors. How are they going to benefit from the network? How how are your anchor institutions going to benefit from the network? You know, I'm giving a talk today on healthcare. Uh, you know, robust telehealth networks are critical to the profitability of hospitals, often the major employers in, in most communities. So really, you know, think about it, the community as a whole and your strategy. And when you engage the community as a whole. You're making your project evergreen because elected officials change. We have elections. Appointed officials leave. But if, if the community wants it, that project is going gonna, is gonna to live on through change. Yeah, I'd like to jump in and just say, you know, we created a toolkit for cities about tech-powered civic engagement. And one of the five important principles we outlined in that was work with and not for. So you're not doing this for somebody, you're doing this with somebody. And when it's a shared goal, there is much more power in it. And I agree, it outlives whomever the elected official might be, outlives their office, not them personally. (laughs) But I think it's all about building trust, right? It's building trust in the community and transparency and um, allowing the voice of citizens who are impacted by this potential change to really be heard. So one of the realities about political will that I think people may not be aware of is how the ecosystem around building these networks is potentially harmed by this perpetual kicking the can down the road. You know, there are supplier companies, consultants, there's a whole range of people that are essential to make sure that communities can build a successful community network. And Bob, you were talking about some of the stresses that some of these folks are facing. Um, You know, I personally know that symmetrical networks had come into this space, tried to work with several cities, and then exited this space because they had this sense that cities just weren't making decisions and they couldn't just go um, year after year paying a staff ready to move at, at, at you know at a moment's notice um, only to have them sitting around in their office doing very little well that's right and and I even the multinationals are having a hard time you know coming to conferences talking to cities working with partners and these projects really aren't moving forward at the speed that they need to and they're having you know some of our colleagues and friends who who we see quite often they're all saying God, I'm having a hard time selling this up the food chain that we should be devoting this time and expertise. So Internally, th- in their company. Internally in their company, which, which, which puts 
the broadband industry and it puts communities at risk because we're going to start losing some really good talent that we've all sort of cultivated and in, in bringing to the table for these communities. Now, just just to explain that dynamic briefly, because I think too many people think of a company as sort of like a monolithic entity. Why is it important to sell something up the food chain in a, in a supplier company? In, in the private sector, we're always looking at, at P&L, profits and losses. And, um, and even nonprofit organizations have to have to make money. So if if a company is going to invest in sending their their people to conferences, you know, there's travel costs associated, uh, or to go out and meet with communities, again, travel costs associated in terms of new business development, you know, they want to see some sort of return on that investment. It's the results, it's the ROI. Uh, and if it's not going to be profitable in the broadband industry, if projects are not going to move forward, these companies are going to say, well, maybe let's focus elsewhere in some of our other areas uh, and other product lines and, and reassign talent. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very real threat, and, and I've been hearing it more and more from uh, several of our partners and, and others. Okay. That, it's, it's distressing, <laughs> but it I understand is. why it is. I mean, look, we're, we're okay at Harrison Edwards. You know, we, we have several practice verticals, and, you know, we're, we're doing some business. We're working with communities across the, the nation. You know, we're, do, we're doing okay, and, and, and as an owner of a company, you know, we have a long runway, and I can control that, that runway. Um, but there are others who, um, who may be in, in middle management or, or, or even fairly senior who are having a, high, a harder case, and they have to answer to shareholders at the end of the day, too. Let's wrap up with a discussion about what you do if you're a member of the community, if you're not an elected official or the mayor, to build political will. Because I think we've come at this often with what the city council and mayor should be doing. Um, And so uh, I often think of this as a tripod um, in that if you're a citizen, you want to have some support from the business community and the residents. That's one leg of the tripod. Another is city staff. You don't want city staff to be totally opposed to the project because they can veto it, even though you know, public policy doesn't necessarily take into account the opinions of staff officially. They certainly have a lot of power to shape these things. And then the other is your elected officials. So there's sort of three legs of the tripod you have to be thinking about. Um, you know, Deb, can you share? Does that something that makes sense to you? Do you have you seen examples of that? It really does. And when I, uh, you know, I referred to Charlotte Hart's gigabit earlier, they really started with the business community, got the business community together, and then spread out to the citizens. All the while, they stayed in communication and collaborated with city staff and elected officials. And they were very successful. And, And I'm not saying because they got Google. They were very successful as a group of people gaining and garnering energy behind this movement. And I think that's a very powerful message for people to remember and is that you bring people in early and often and you share as much information as you can and you are at the same time as a group of citizens both pushing the process forward and pulling the elected officials with you. I think it's really important when we're talking about community. I'm going to say something a little controversial now. Uh oh! Here we go. I can just, I can just, <laughs> I can just imagine. Here's the little clip before the show. I'm going to say something controversial now. Welcome. To, <laughs> here's the promo. Um, our industry relies heavily on social media and broadband champions within the community, and I'm here to say it's maybe not such a reliable um, resource. Champions are great, but at the end of the day, they're volunteers. And champions have been known to go off message. There, there is a there was a meeting of champions in one of the Colorado towns. I'm not going to name it by name, um, where they they had a, they had 
put together, you know, a dozen champions in, in the various neighborhoods, and they held a meeting. And two of the champions, two of the 12, show up, and in, they're off message. They're actually even a little bit negative about the, um, the process because they had read uh, something in the newspaper that an incumbent had planted, some of that deliberate misinformation that, you know, that, that our company tries to correct the record on. Um, so you always have to be wary that, yes, a bottom-up approach is great, but you do need a little bit of, of that top-down, that three-legged stool that Deb was just discussing. Proper community engagement leads to three things. Shorter project timelines, because the community is behind it, so therefore there's political coverage. There's less cost, because the projects don't drag out and further studies and more and more and legal battles. And also stronger take rates. If the community is behind it, they're going to want, you know, once people get broadband, boy, they sign up for it in a, in a heartbeat. And, and that's really, really critical. Having the community there, man, these projects move forward. I think that's a really good spot to end. Deb, did you want to have any concluding comments? I'll just say that I think about some of the things we've heard here already at broadband communities in Ontario, and that's, you know, Sandy, Oregon, has a 68% take rate, right? I mean, that's because the community really cares and the community's really engaged. And Chattanooga, Tennessee, announced their 100,000th customer. Again, just it's all about ensuring that the citizens are engaged and excited and you are sharing information all the time. And then you end up with a success like that. It's great to hear about those stories. And Mr. Knight, <laughs> would you like to finish up with a concluding comment? Well, it actually, in, in cases like that, it's great. Then you switch your campaign to managing expectations, right? You say this all the time, Deb. Government is great at building infrastructure, lousy at operating it. So what happens when you have 68% of the community or 100,000 subscribers? You, you need the infrastructure to, to set them up. You need the human resources. So, so there, there is that messaging. I wouldn't have said Deb said lousy. So, Deb, why don't you respond? I would say they are great at building infrastructure. They've been doing it for years. They don't always want to manage it. And it is not always in their wheelhouse to manage it. And so I would say it that way. I wouldn't say they're lousy at it. The folks that choose to do it actually are really doing it quite well. Well, and, and I think, you know, your point, I think, is that the things that you do well, Bob, are the, the, the things that are really challenging for communities in terms of managing the message and and rapidly changing the message uh, that you're pr- putting out in the media if, you know, you need to on a regular basis in terms of your marketing campaigns and things like that. So we actually just launched a brand new website just for this. It's called PRforbroadband.com, PR like public relations, PRforbroadband.com. And it actually shows the process of building political will, uh, building community engagement, and also, you know, how, how we go about, you know, helping to build um, higher take rates, too. And it really shows what sidelines these projects and really how to help communities become more successful. We want to turn that 90 to 95% number around, flip it on its head, and make sure all these community broadband projects are successful. Good. Well, thanks for, thanks for your passion. Thanks for coming on to talk with us today. Can't be anything but passionate about broadband. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Chris. That was Christopher with Deb Sosha and Bob Knight. They were discussing political will and community broadband network projects. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. 
You can access them wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. And while you're there, take a moment to donate. Thanks to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 329 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.